This is Your Own Voice, the podcast about gender experience and perspective. I'm your host, Amy Breslow. Each week, I invite a different guest to share their personal experiences regarding gender and gender issues. When I use the word gender, I mean the range of social roles, personality traits, attitudes, behaviors, values, and relative power that society assigns to females, males, and other individuals. Gender is an identity that is learned. How we define gender changes over time and can vary within and across cultures. This podcast is recorded at my kitchen table and may contain sounds of life from my home and neighborhood in Washington, D.C. Episode 13. My guest today is Sam, who identifies as a born-again feminist and prefers the pronouns she and her. Sam, welcome to Your Own Voice. I am so pleased to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. So Sam, I think you wanted to say something before we started this interview. Yes, I did. Um, I just wanted to clarify that the views um, that I'm going to be talking about today, my experiences, um, and and the opinions that I have that I'm expressing are my own, and they're not that of the United States government or any other association um, that I might have with uh, the military. Thank you very much. So Sam, I'd like to start off by asking, how do you identify? So... I identify as, uh, I guess I would describe it as like a born-again feminist, and the pronouns that I prefer are she, her, and hers, but I would say that that would be kind of um, right now how I identify, and that's reflected in my work as well. And I'm interesting, why born-again? I think we're going to talk a little bit about it uh, later, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that, um, you know, the way that I grew up and then some of the things that I went into uh, during my education and the ways that I behaved and then kind of how I've come full circle around and I now work uh, full time on women's empowerment. Uh, So, yeah. So born again. I love it. Okay, well, then let's let's see. uh, Let's see if that comes up. So Sam, when in your life did you first become aware of different gender roles? I would say when I was pretty young. Um, I grew up in a family that was all girls, so there were three of us, and I was the middle one. And my parents, my mom and my dad, had, I think, different gender roles than some of my friends. So for example, I grew up in a big football town. And my mom was a huge football fan, and my dad couldn't be bothered. Uh, my mom drank beer and my dad couldn't, you didn't, didn't like drinking beer. Um, my mom took her coffee black and my dad took his with cream. And so there were kind of some conversations that I had had with school, like school friends, you know, how children a lot of times reinforce those roles on each other. And so we would be talking they'd be like, oh yeah, well, my dad's such a big football fan. And I would say, well, my mom's such a big football fan. And they go, that's weird. Girls don't like football. And I was like, well, wait a second, hold on. Like, because what I was seeing at home was different than, you know, what my peers were seeing. And so I think that was really, I don't, I didn't have the language to describe it as gender roles, but um, I definitely knew that maybe the way that my family was structured was a bit different just because of the preferences of my own mother and father. And they might seem trivial, but they were really ingrained in my peers. Like, oh, that's weird that your dad doesn't drink beer or that's weird that your mom does. So that's like one part. And the other part was, is that I grew up in a house of all girls. So 
we were expected to, you know, learn how to do all of these things that would be considered, I think, a bit more masculine, whether it was like operate a chainsaw, dig holes in the backyard. My dad was a huge fan of manual labor, specifically for like corrective punishment for children. So, uh, so that was like always something, you know, if we messed up, you know, that would be something we had to do, you know, uh, in the backyard. And um, so I think that also really shaped a lot of what was normal for me. And then my knowledge and the stuff that I picked up when I was younger was amplified, like the, the differences between some of my other woman peers and then, you know, some of my male peers as well. So I'm curious, did you and your sisters have conversations about this? I think we did when we got a little bit older and it was almost like a, I, I don't want to say, I think we would compare and contrast and say, you know, oh, you know, someone else doesn't know how to change the brakes on their car or they, you know, they don't know how to change from winter tires to summer tires. Um, and I think it was a bit odd for us that they didn't necessarily know how to do that. But um, what kind of came out on the wash, I think a bit later, and again, I didn't have the vocabulary to describe it. Well, my father was a huge feminist and was very much encouraging us in our whole lives to be independent and to be able to take care of ourselves um, and not rely on other people. And that wasn't necessarily a conversation we had every single day, but the actions and what we learned how to do were reflected in that. And I think now as adults, I think my sisters and I really appreciate that. And it's, I think it's really helped us move through the world in a way where we, we can enjoy it more and we don't necessarily have to be dependent on people. So I think, I think that was his plan all along. I don't know, but I think that's kind of how it's come out in the wash. So it's very, um, it's been very interesting when I adult, uh, how that kind of turns out. You mentioned earlier that you work on gender issues or women empowerment issues. What in your personal life inspired you to work on gender in your career? I would say a lot of it had to do with the way that I was raised, the the skills that I was given that I wasn't even aware of, kind of like I talked about before. But my path to getting to working on gender full time was a very weird one. And it started out with my experience at university. So I went to a little bit of a uh, an interesting university. I went to the military academy at West Point, and um, I decided that I really wanted to study engineering. Come from a family of engineers, there may or may not have been several conversations in our house of all girls that uh, that uh, consisted of if you want to be independent, become a doctor, or a lawyer, or an engineer, which might seem like a lot to put on like a little girl. But I think you know setting that stage um, for me was was a really important kind of goal to work towards. And there were also standards that were set in my house about, you know, you have to get A's in science and math. Those were kind of non-negotiables from a grade standpoint. Um, and so that kind of set that kind of set the the tone in our family. And so I went I went to the military academy. I think I I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. To be honest with you, I don't come from a military family. I like a lot of people who joined around the time that I did. I I I was I witnessed September 11th. That affected me very deeply. I felt kind of called to serve and I figured, well, you know, if I'm going to join the military, I may as well be an officer. If I'm going to be an officer, um, I may as well go to one of the service academies. And I was lucky enough to get an appointment um, to, to, to West Point, but I had absolutely no idea what I was getting myself into, but I really wanted to be an engineer there because they have a really excellent engineering program. And when I started school, which I think this is really common for a lot of people when they start university, they kind of realize like it's really hard. 
and they realized like, you know, okay, maybe I was able to kind of coast through high school and not have to worry about anything. But then, you know, university is very, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of pressure. And so I think that that, that kind of affected me in a number of ways, but, uh, during the academy, which is something that not a lot of people know, it's not just academics. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that they have the cadets do there. They have them do uh, physical stuff. So whether it be physical training, being on a sports team, um, you know, all the stuff that you need to, to lead soldiers. And then they also do military education as well. And part of the military education that you do is that you go into these practice leadership positions where they say, okay, uh, Sam, you go ahead and you go in here and, um, you, uh, and you, you are going to be the squad leader, which means you're in charge of like eight to 10 people as a, as a college student. So you're taking on these leadership roles and testing out your leadership style. So the, the leadership positions that we had during the summer, uh, that we would take on, you know, during basic training, basic training is supposed to be really tough. People are supposed to be getting yelled at. It's very, it's supposed to be a really kind of like stressful time in order to kind of be a crucible for you to change, right? To change and to kind of, in some cases, conform, depending on who you ask. And so, you know, I went through and what I noticed when I went through and what my peers really encouraged me to do was to pick on other women. So your male peers wanted you to pick on these women? Yeah, it was almost like they were kind of turfing them off on me. But I interpreted it as of like a vote of confidence, like saying like, hey, you know, Sam, you know, you're so good at, at dealing with these, you know, young ladies who might be upset or they might not be doing what we need them to do that I kind of was like, okay, great. You know, and, and as I was, as I was doing this, I took actually a lot of pride in the fact that, you know, I was the one that was sitting at, you know, uh, a table during mealtime full of, you know, young ladies, the new cadets, I was the one that was entrusted with developing them, you know, or, you know, making the corrections, explaining to them why it was important that we, you know, maintained uh, what we call military bearing or like not crying, right? Kind of like just reinforcing the views that were socialized at the academy, that were socialized on me, you know, onto women specifically. And then I found myself kind of picking on women um, as we moved. Because you, when we go through the, the school year, you, you've got your leadership detail that happens. That happens during the summer. And then we, we move into the school year where academics start. But the whole class system, um, the leader, I believe it's called like the leader development system, it exists throughout the school year. So you get lots and lots and lots of chances to kind of test out different leadership styles. You know, it's one of the reasons why I... I I think that, um, you know, the Academy really puts out a lot of really high quality leaders, you know, because we do get the opportunity to kind of iterate. Right. And I found myself taking on this role of being the one who would always be, you know, finding, you know, other women at the Academy who are a lower class than me, finding, you know, them and making a correction on their hair that maybe was falling out or the fact that they weren't standing in the correct way. After I commissioned, I, I kind of toned a bit, I, I toned myself down my last year that I was there, really busy with academics, 
I kind of decided that it wasn't that serious and that I really needed to hunker down and make sure that I passed my engineering classes and that I commissioned because everybody that goes through the academy, well, most everybody commissions as an officer in, in, in the U.S. Army. So once I commissioned... I, I commissioned into a very male-dominated field, uh, the engineer field. So the Corps of Engineers is what I is what I commissioned into. And then I started, you know, living my life as a lieutenant. And I had kind of changed my behavior. But what I found was when we would go to uh, these events that we would have, these annual alumni events, that women would approach me and they would say, and I would be like, hey, how are you? What's going Where are you stationed? What are you doing? Um, and they would say, you know, hi, I'm, I'm so-and-so. And you you really picked on me when we were at school. And I got to the point where I was like giving people my credit card and saying, go open a tab at the bar. I'm really sorry. Uh, you know, school brought out something in me that I'm not proud of. It was a difficult time. And, you know, and then fast forward to... Um, a bit more recently when I just learned about uh, this philosopher, funny, because, you know, I didn't study philosophy, but now I'm coming back to it. And I do a lot of it in my free time. And her name is uh, Kate Mann, Dr. Kate Mann. And she talks about patriarchy as something that you participate in. And that completely reframed how I viewed what I was doing at the academy, which is I was trying to fit in with my male classmates and they wanted me to do something for them that was uncomfortable for them. So it's understandable. And I was participating in that instead of saying, no, you're going to be leading women. You need to learn how to do this stuff yourself. And so just full circle, like reflection, kind of horrified uh, a little bit. But I think that that, that, that that want to be a part of that team, to be accepted by my male classmates was just so deep that I was just, I, it didn't, it's not that it didn't matter what I was doing, but it, it didn't seem like it was hurting much. And, you know, the lived experiences of the women that I've met since and them kind of telling me, cause you know, they always say, people don't remember what you say or what you do. They remember how you make them feel. And, and so to understand the impact that I can have on other women kind of opened the door for me in several ways to understand the positive impact that I could potentially have on women. And so like, that's why at the beginning of the interview, when I said I'm a born again feminist, you know, that's full circle for me. I went from, you know, kind of like a really empowered household where I was learning to do all of these things that, that were a lot of times very male coded to the academy where I almost got shoved into this box. Then through my experience uh, on active duty, and then, you know, now, um, now I'm out of the military and I'm out of the active duty. You know, and kind of like reflecting on that, and um, you know, it's fed into uh, it's fed into the work that I do now. So it's very from a reflection standpoint, it is like a full circle. It's actually kind of cool, but it's parts of it I'm not very proud of, and I think the work that I do today is almost like an atonement for that type of behavior. And and I always make it really clear uh, to people that I work with because I do, you know, I work uh, with the Women, Peace, and Security Agenda and Women's Empowerment is that just because we're women doesn't necessarily mean that we know how to lift other women up and we know how to empower other women. So, you know, to me, it was something that it took a very long time to learn. And so now I'm very enthusiastic about helping other people maybe not make the same mistakes as me. Thank you so much for sharing that story. You know, you reminded me of a conversation I recently had with a male friend of mine. 
And he was saying to me that he was really struggling with what to do with some of the women that he supervised and other women in his office when they would tear down or cut down other women, especially women in leadership positions. And he felt incredibly uncomfortable and he didn't know how to handle it. And he asked me if I had any thoughts. And I said to him, you know, actually, I need to think about this. And so I went and talked to my mentor and said, you know, this guy asked me this question and I really wasn't sure how to respond. And my mentor said to me that patriarchy is a system. And part of how patriarchy keeps women down is by making them think that they have to compete with one another. And that it's that constantly keeping women in this cycle of competition keeps them from rising to the places where they can rise. And that just blew me away. Yeah, no. And it's also, I mean, it's more than that too. It's, 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 it's men who would also be allies and lifting women up, discouraging them from doing so. Um, you know, and, and I, I would agree with that. I mean, you know, have you ever heard of the concept of perceived tokenism? No. So that's like, um, and I know that a lot of women have experienced this when you're in a job and there's 10 slots for a promotion. And traditionally one of those slots goes to women traditionally and nine of those thoughts go to men all of the women compete against each other as though they're competing for that one slot instead of 10 slots and i I experienced that when i was in the military uh not from a promotion perspective but just from like a favor like you know currying favor with folks i would completely agree with your mentor because you know if we learned how to be supportive and communicative with each other and to really drill down, you know, past, you know, frustration and anger and sought to understand each other more, man, we would run the world. And it's just, it's so, I think that's one of the reasons why I absolutely love working on gender and women's issues. Uh, although we don't call them issues, they're challenges. Um, they're not problems. You know, those are kind of negative connotation words, but I just, it, it blows my mind. And then it really... In some cases, it really, um, I feel really, really deeply sad because even in the empowerment community, I see those same patterns of behavior and it just, it, it breaks my heart and I just don't, uh, you know, if I could, if I was, you know, if I was in charge for a day, you know, just, or if I had the ability to give everybody instant awareness about something, you know, I think the ability to kind of see those things very clearly, and a lot of it has to do with the fact we don't have the language surrounding it. And so having a conversation becomes really difficult because I'm sure you probably have also heard other women say, oh, I've never experienced discrimination ever. I've never been, you know, I've always had every opportunity. And, and the thing is, is when you take a look at patriarchy as kind of a structural thing. So for me, the way that I kind of visualize it is like bricks and mortar is like the bricks. Like those are like the, the institutional things. Like maybe, maybe it's a job standard that says that you have to be a certain height, right? And those are, that's a real thing, specifically in the security community. Or it could be something about uh, skills and abilities, right? So like maybe a, a degree that you have or something like that. Those are certain things that kind of keep, I think keep women specifically in their place. But then there's the mortar is like the attitudes of society. And it's very, it's really, really hard 
it's it's if you were going to attack or demolish a wall, right? You would you the the thing that makes it strong is the mortar, but once the mortar goes, then a lot of times the bricks will fall down. So like it's kind of you know, how do you attack it? How do you build that awareness? And and I'm absolutely fascinated by that because I work in a very male dominated environment to this day. So thank you so much, Sam. I'm wondering since you seem to really know a lot about this, do you know a good definition for patriarchy? I would say I, I really like Dr. Mann's definition or like the philosophical way that she looks at it. And and I don't know specifically what her definition is, but uh, basically the way that she frames it is that it's a system that you participate in and you can choose to participate in it or you can choose not to. Same thing with, um, she talks about misogyny as well, I believe. And I really love this because then it, it removes the label from an actual person. So it goes from you are a misogynist to you are participating in misogyny. So it makes it a choice for people. And I love that because I work with people who I think sometimes behave in a way that is not inclusive. Um, they behave in a way that is, you know, not um, respectful of the diversity of the, of the group of folks that we work with. I don't think it's conscious though. And I do think I'm a huge fan of uh, Bryn Brown and her work around shame. And I'm, I really think that when you remove that and make it something that you can choose to participate in, it empowers people to then, you know, when you know better, you do better and try and maybe like go from participating to not participating. And, and so for me and my self-reflection of, of how I did it, you know, now that I know better, um, I do not behave in that way. It is not helpful for me to pick on other women. It is it is something that actually I might be unwittingly contributing to that infighting that you were talking about earlier. And I don't want to do that. Like I want all of us to be shoulder to shoulder, you know, marching down the street, you know, burning it all down, right? Not really, but you know what I mean. So so yeah. Metaphorically. Metaphorically. <laughs> yeah. So so that would be kind of that's that's the way so for me it's not necessarily a definition, it's like how I like to think about it. It's um, really helpful. Thank yeah. you. No, and I then the brick and mortar that. thing too, you know, about like the structural stuff that exists within organizations and then the attitudes, yeah. right? And, you know, drilling down, you know, a lot of our attitudes, they're, they're socialized by our parents. And so it's an incredibly personal thing. Um, working on gender and, and topics surrounding gender is, it's literally, it's the most, it's, it invokes the most emotion of anything I've ever done in my life. And I used to run construction and people normally get pretty upset about construction. So it's been really interesting kind of the reactions you get from people. Excellent. Thank you so much. Yeah. What issues around gender do you confront in the workplace? Oh man, that's a, there's a lot to unpack in that question. I mean, I would say, do you mean in terms of dynamics between men and women, structural stuff that women can encounter? Um, I, t- I Honestly, I'd like to hear your personal experiences, okay. be it in this job or you mentioned that you used to work in construction before. Okay. Wherever you'd like to go, I think that it's really helpful for people to hear about things that folks have actually gone through okay. and ways that they've navigated it. Okay. I'd love to hear about that. I think in my my work life started, you know, in a military setting, but I was doing a lot of construction work. And so I feel like the military is a very, it's like a very specific breed of male dominated environment that has its own culture. We've got our own language, but I think that there are some truisms that kind of, you know, could be extrapolated to other fields. So I started out 
really, really desperately just wanting to fit in and be one of the guys and do everything that the soldiers that I was leading, uh, you know, that they did. And I, so I would modify, oh man, I, I would modify a lot of stuff about myself in order to fit into that role. And what I thought was, you know, a good military leader, you know, specifically um, on a construction site. So I had already, you know, checked the box of having an engineering degree and that was great. But then I did stuff like I wouldn't wear makeup and I, my uniform was like a size or two too big. And I would stand and take up space in very male ways. Like think like, hands on hips, shoulders back, like very just, I would make myself kind of like, I would posture a bit with them and I would um, swear an awful lot, uh, like like a sailor, even though we were in the, in the army. And, you know, I thought that that would almost camouflage me by behaving like them, that it would almost camouflage me in a work setting and that they wouldn't notice that I was a woman. I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah, I was young. And what I realized was, is that it was almost like this really kind of sometimes exhausting performance that I was putting on. And I set these standards for myself that were sometimes like really difficult to achieve. Like I would say, you know, oh, every single time one of my different, um, we have subunits of our, of our military units. Every time one of those different units would go out and do physical training, I would be there. I would, I would be there. I would be doing whatever they were doing working out like four times a day sometimes like it was destroying my body you know and we were working uh, when we were when we deployed we were working like 18 hour days did you see combat were you in a combat zone so that's a that is a loaded question for someone who actually has been in a in an in an active combat zone um i was very fortunate from a leadership perspective that we were in we were in a place that was classified as combat zone, but we were never shot at. Understood. So from a leadership perspective, for me, that was as much as I wanted to go and do that, I was in a safe space where my soldiers would be able to practice their profession. And so for me, as much as I might have wanted to go into the fray and, you know, do all the things, I was very, I was responsible for 48 people, 48 full grown men. Actually, I was the only woman. I was very thankful we weren't getting shot at while we were there. So, uh, yeah. So I was, no. So I think it's amazing that you as the only woman were leading this group of men. Did any of them have a hard time taking orders from a woman? You know, I don't think so. Um, I think that in the military, they're pretty good at, you know, what you get is what you get. I am positive that my leadership style didn't jive with a lot of the men. I mean, you can't please everybody, right? You know, if you've got a group of almost 50 guys or 50 soldiers, there's going to be a certain percentage of them that don't like the way that you do what you do, right? But never, never, ever was I ever questioned. Um, and, and, I, and I credit, uh, you know, a lot of that to, to my preparation, you know, at the academy. They do a very excellent job of preparing um, everyone to go out and lead soldiers. So I was really thankful that I had that. So Sam, is there anything else you'd like to add about dealing with gender in the workplace? Sure. Um, I, I think uh, in my experience now working for the government, which is still pretty, the, the environment that I work in is still re- really male dominated. You know, I've gone through the reflection, you know, that we talked about earlier and now I'm a lot more deliberate with my relationships with people at work, um, specifically other women. 
specifically from a place of wanting to help and be an ally. So whether it is, you know, we're at a meeting and we amplify what it is that each other say, like, you know, Hey, I really like what you said, Amy. Uh, you, you know, I, I really liked Amy's idea when she said this, that is something I'm a lot more deliberate about. And I'm really open to coaching people into doing that specifically, you know, I mean, I, I do work with, um, I work with an unusual amount of women for the organization that I'm, that I'm in, but the male dominated environment that I work in, I, I, I go out of my way when I mentor senior leaders to actually teach them about, you know, uh, the different things that we know to be true. For example, when a woman's in a meeting and she gives a, she gives an idea, then, you know, there might not be any reaction, but then a, you know, a male might say the same thing like five minutes later and everyone will be like, Oh, that's the best idea ever. Right. Um, so that type of stuff that, that only becomes visible when you really draw somebody's attention to it. I am now aware of, um, I kind of talk about, gender, gender dynamics, which is the relations between, you know, men and women, men and men, women and women, um, in the workplace and gender in general, right. And my, in my larger work as like, kind of like almost seeing water as if we're like fish. And did you ever see that cartoon where it's like these two little fish and they're talking to each other. And then this older fish swims by and he says, you know, Hey, good morning. Water's really nice today. And then the two little fish look at each other and they go water. That to me is how learning about gender in general has really been. So now I see it everywhere, you know, and if anyone will hold still, I'll tell them all about it. But to me in the workplace, I try and take that knowledge and actually instrumentalize it in order to number one, build, build more male allies. And then number two, lift the other women that are around me up and be very deliberate and modeling that leadership um, with other women because of what we talked about before that perceived tokenism. And when you're in a really competitive environment, which is what I'm in, and I, and I think a lot of women work in really competitive environments, it's really important that we make sure that if we're going to be going somewhere that we bring a couple other women with us if we can. What do you think is possible today, given the current conversation around gender that was not possible even a few years ago? I mean, I think, I think today that there's a lot that's possible, but within my own context, within the, the government job that I have, I can have a conversation with someone about what is LGBTQI and what does that mean when I'm trying to be a servant leader? I could not have had that conversation five, ten years ago. Um, it was it was a very uh, different. It was a very different time back then. It was it was a you know it was a time that was a lot more difficult. And what I see now, specifically with you know young folks coming up in my organization, and, and I'm watching their leadership. What I've noticed is is men and women are able to lead a lot more authentically. And that is super exciting. I love that younger men and younger women are able to enter my particular workplace, which is pretty restrictive. It's very prescriptive about how you're supposed to behave, but they're able to question. And that is something that I don't think would be, and, and there's a gendered aspect to that, right? Specifically younger women questioning or younger men, because when you talk about gender, there's also that age disaggregator that you can have with it as well, right? You know, wait your turn or um, whatever. And and I think that I think that that's another thing that's been really exciting for me that I don't think we could do before. And I, and I also think that ha- people having the vocabulary to describe their experiences and then hopefully leadership understanding that this isn't just something that happens outside of our organizations everywhere. And 
I'm really deeply sad about how much of a problem it is in a lot of organizations, um, specifically the military. And I think that I think that the leadership is recognizing that things like Me Too and Time's Up, that they're driving the need for them to adjust their leadership styles from the top and to hold people accountable. And that is a conversation I don't think we could have before. So it's very multifaceted, but I think that it's, I think that making space for the Me Too conversations is making space for the theoretical underpinnings of why these things matter. And then specifically when you talk about leadership, like why does it matter from a leadership perspective that we, you know, that we care about this stuff? You know, it's about creating, you know, and and leveraging diverse teams and making sure that everyone is heard and creative safe, creating safe spaces for people to you know, to get their jobs done, right? Whatever those may be. And, and so for me, that's the exciting part, especially when I work with a lot, um, like much, much older gentlemen. Um, and then I, and, you know, we'll be talking and we'll be talking about gender, you know, cause I, we talk a lot about women, peace and security. So we'll, I'll teach them the basics. And then a lot of times I'll ask them just as you asked me, you know, is there anything else that you want to know about? And they'll lean in and they'll go, could you tell me about this LGBTQI stuff? And, and I'll say, okay, great. Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's unpack it, right? Let's talk about how you as a leader can be a better leader by understanding these things better, respecting them, and then being more inclusive. So, so to me, that's a huge win. That is, if, if, that, if we get nothing else, that's a huge win. Do you have any life goals or dreams that you chose not to pursue? And if so, do you think gender played a role in any of those decisions? Um, I think that when I raised my right hand and went into the service, I wanted to be in the military for 20 years. I was ride or die, you know, U.S. military, um, really excited about leading soldiers, uh, really excited about being a part of a team. And, um, and I wanted that goal of staying in for 20 years and being a career military, um, military woman. Um, and I have, I don't want to say give up. I don't like, I don't like saying giving up, but like, uh, (laughs) I've changed my mind. I've changed my mind and I've shifted, um, after I was in the organization and I saw, and this is a greater conversation, you know, within the military that I'm sure if you ask a lot of people, they talk about, you know, just about the respect. Uh, there's kind of a um, talent management uh, conversation that's happening in the military right now. It's not right-sized for a lot of people. Um, there's a lot of discussions about maternity and paternity leave. And I didn't feel as though while I was defending freedom for other people that I had the opportunity to effectively exercise my own freedoms. Like, for example, the freedom to choose to one to have a child. A lot of women in the military, and a lot of people don't realize this, they plan their pregnancies around their career and exactly when they're going to be in school or when they're going to be back, um, what we say, in garrison. So like at the post that they're at a lot of people don't realize that it can be really disruptive, especially when, you know, like your fertility is on a clock and, and, you know, so it's, it's, so I kind of actually resented being in an organization that was not flexible enough to accommodate me. And, and when I say me, I mean myself and a lot of other women. So, I mean, for me, my experience in the military was like, you know, I was a little bit, you know, resentful really that I didn't have 
the flexibility, um, and we're not talking about a lot of flexibility, just a little flexibility to, to even plan a family, for example, around what the military was, was requiring of, um, of me to do. And so it wasn't right sized. And so, you know, I kind of shifted my goals a little bit and, um, you know, now I do what it is that I do. So Sam, is there some place in your life where you decided to push on anyway? even though gender expectations or gender norms said don't. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had classmates at the academy who, this was like in 2005, that said, you know, I like you, Sam, but I really, you know, I feel like you took a place away from, you know, some other, some other guy who could have had your spot. And I did not have a very pleasant time at, at West Point. But I tell you what, once I was there, there was no one was going to get me to leave. I mean, that's one example. I've had other examples where oh, I had a battalion commander that told me when I went, I was going to go to a special school. And he went out of his way to tell me before I left to go to this special military school. He went out of his way to tell me that I was going to fail. And you better bet you better bet that I went there, I did it, and I came back to his office and slapped that piece of paper down on his desk and said, here you go. So for me, a lot of times, and I think my family would laugh, you know, because they know this, anytime that anyone tells me that I can't do something, I definitely have the personality that says, oh, you told me I can't climb this mountain, now I'm going to go wave to you from the top. So that that is a I think that's a good attitude to have but sometimes it actually invites burnout and so I have to be really careful in what it is that I'm rebelling against um, <laughs> because it can be very uh, it can be kind of a waste of energy sometimes but uh, I think that there's been a couple things that it had the odds have been kind of against me that that I've um, that I've been like no 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 I, I'm in control of this and I'm gonna do it so Sam is there something that you would like regular people to start doing now? to make a change around gender issues in the United States? I think there's a lot of stuff that people can do, but I think if I were to give some advice on something that, that folks could do today, um, I would say, you know, listen and amplify the voices of women around you. So if you are at work and Amy said something cool at a meeting and you think that it's a great idea, say, I think, I think what Amy said was really wonderful and amplify those voices. And, and, you know, when you start to behave like an ally and you start to, um, be more inclusive of other people and it could, it, it doesn't just have to be gender. It could be people who are differently abled. It could be, you know, people of color. When you start doing that, you'll see the relationship that you have with them change. You know, it helps to build trust. It helps to build respect. And if you're working in a team environment, it helps to make the team closer. And um, I think that's one really, really simple thing that you can do. And it takes concentration, I think. But I think that you can start to do it today. And uh, specifically, if you're you're a man or you're another woman, you know, you can you can do that and you can start being a good ally, uh, you know, today and changing your own behavior because you can't control other people. You can control, you can control how you react to other people, right? So um, I think that's one good, very tiny, teeny tiny first step. So Sam, is there anything else that you would like to add either on something we already talked about or something that hasn't come up yet in the conversation? I don't 
think so, but I, I would, I mean, I guess for parting words, I would just say, you know, just be good to each other. Man, it is a really difficult time that all of us are living in with, doesn't matter where you stand. It doesn't matter where you live. When we enter into times of uncertainty, people tend to look inward. They tend to not want to reach out to people and the internet makes it so easy. Um, so I would say, you know, to the best of your ability, and this is a practice for me that I try and I'm not always very good at to just try and be good to people and, and to give them the benefit of the doubt and to live your life with, you know, empathy for others. You know, if someone cuts you off or if someone beeps at you, or if someone, you know, interrupts you at work, just give them the benefit of the doubt, you know, and move on, you know, through your day empathy and, and a little bit of grace because like my goodness we all could we all could really use some of that right now so that would be I think the only thing that I would want to add that I didn't say Sam it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you today thank you so much for coming over thank you for having me you've been listening to your own voice the podcast about gender experience and perspective your own voice is produced by me Amy Breslow with IT support from Alex Moreno and is registered with ProtectRight, music by Kevin McLeod. I see each conversation as an adventure, and I love being surprised by where we go. If you found you had any questions during the discussion, I'd really like to know. You can submit questions on the website, yourownvoice.org contact. Thank you for joining us today. I'll be back in one or two weeks with the next episode. Until then, take care and be well.